Miss the show, no problem. On point and on the podcast. China doesn't even pretend that it kidnapped the Michaels in retaliation for the arrest of the Huawei princess. And now they're telling Canada that we should see this as an olive branch and reciprocate by saying yes to Huawei, which is exactly what we should not do. So how does the Trudeau government respond and will it change direction in how it deals with their cozy relationship with this thuggish regime? We will talk about that. Immigration wasn't an election issue, but it darn well should be, as we learn from secret documents that the Trudeau government's overhauling immigration, removing all grounds for refugees, even those who lie. So everyone will simply be let in and given the benefit of the doubt. I mean, what could go wrong? And Michael Kovrig once fronted a punk band in Budapest. We'll talk with one of his former bandmates who wrote a song to help get him freed about what it was like to see his friend touch down on Canadian soil and who tells us that his song, The Plane to Toronto, was what Mr. Kovrig listened to on his ride home from the airport. Let's get talking. is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Our approach has been consistent. It's fourfold. Uh, we coexist with China. We're on the same planet. Uh, we compete with them. Uh, trade is an example of it. In some cases, we need to cooperate because there are global issues such as climate change. The upcoming COP26 conference is going to be extremely important. China is the largest producer of greenhouse gases in the world. And yes, sometimes we will challenge China, as we did on their arbitrary detention of the two Michaels, as we did on their treatment of the Uyghurs, the people of Hong Kong, the Tibetans. And we're going to continue to challenge uh, China as we move forward. So the relationship is a complex one, but our eyes are wide open. Well, that is Foreign Affairs Minister Mark Garneau, who says moving forward, they're going to pursue stronger ties with China, but that their eyes will be wide open, which signals absolutely nothing will change in the Trudeau government's approach to dealing with this regime. Regime, Even though a majority of Canadians very much want tougher actions on China, and when he was asked by Mercedes Stevenson, like, what will the penalty be for China, Garneau refused to say that there would be one or if his government would say no to Huawei, or boycott the Beijing games, or face any consequences for this kidnapping at all. And so what happens next? I mean, how do we deal with a country that Justin Trudeau, you know, campaigned in 2015 to go all in with, who wants to carry on his father's legacy, and who openly declared during his leadership that his big idea is that China is the future. Charles Burton, a senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute's Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad and a former counselor at the Canadian Embassy in Beijing. He joins us now. Good to have you, Charles. Good to speak with you, Alex. Um, didn't have a chance to chat with you on Friday because of the late breaking news, but, but were you as stunned as, as I was and everyone else that the Michaels uh, were on a plane that quickly? Yes. I mean, of course, I am absolutely delighted that they are freed from... Chinese prison hell, but um, you know, Chinese the Chinese government is sending out a signal by not allowing a, a discreet period of say a few weeks or months to pass between um, Meng Wanzhou's repatriation and the release of of the two Michaels. And what they're saying is that you know we do hostage diplomacy, get used to it. 
because it's absolutely clear that it's explicitly connected the, the taking of, of Michael Corbett and Michael's favor with um, with the Mung case. And moreover, I think they're trying to establish a moral equivalent between our holding Ms. Mung in considerable comfort in her two multi-million dollar mansions in in uh, Vancouver to the kidnapping of of two innocent Canadian citizens and and the brutal, brutal incarceration that they have endured for over a thousand days. So, you know, it was it's appalling, really, and doesn't bode well for the future of Canada-China relations because um, that the regime is now quite blatant about uh, how they can abuse Canada in a way um, that violates all norms of normal international interaction with absolutely no consequences. Yeah, and I'll get to the consequences in just a second, but the U.S.-Canadian ambassador to the U.S., Kirsten Hillman, was uh, speaking over the weekend about how this all came to be. And this swap uh, had apparently nothing to do with the deferred prosecution, which had been on the table for months and months and months. Uh, There was no side deal negotiated or that the Trudeau government had any influence. It it more sounded like she said, you know, China decided it no longer needed the nuisance and, and walked away. Is that how you see this? Yes, absolutely. I don't think that it has anything to do with anything that our government has done. I think that there could be some connection to the fact that Canadian public opinion has turned so strongly against China because of this outrage. But, you know, essentially, our government simply was passive in the face of what was happening with Kovrigan's favor. And while they, you know, we heard from the government that the release of Kovrigan's favor was Canada's number one um, diplomatic priority. I don't think it was even our number one priority uh, with regard to China, which seems to be more about protecting the investment and trade interests of certain mm-hmm. corporate elements that have um, strong political connections in Ottawa. And so I, I think that that um, most of the um, concern expressed about Kovrigan's favor was to appease public opinion but I'm not convinced that the government uh, really took their 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 fate that seriously, thinking that there are larger issues in the relationship of a geostrategic nature that have priority, and that these you know what are dismissed as simply two consular cases were taking up too much energy in the larger question of Canada-China relations. So, you know, it's been a it's been a win for China. It's been something of a win for the U.S. in the sense that they got Ms. Meng to acknowledge wrongdoing in deceiving right. the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank, which could serve well in a future prosecution of Huawei, the company. But for mm-hmm. Canada, I, I just see it as a lose-lose, and we appear even weaker and, and less committed to the values that sustain the global community, and we're being excluded from important alliances with the United States to try and get things back to rights because we're seen as an unreliable and weak partner. Yeah, I mean, optically seeing the pictures of the Prime Minister with uh, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor may give him uh, a bit of public, um, you know, support. But, but you know, the bottom line is, I mean, China is now openly saying Canada should learn from this and that there are, that the release of Meng Wanzhou should be seen as an olive branch and Canada should reciprocate by now approving Huawei. But, you know, I listed off at the top of the show a whole bunch of things we should absolutely not be doing. And Huawei would be the number one thing they should be announcing is a dead deal. But they should also be saying no to the Beijing game 
terms. They could be um, enacting Magnitsky sanctions, fighting to get into this AUKUS deal with the U.S., U.K., um, and um, the U.S., this strategic alliance, uh, you know, to push back against um, China. There's so many things that they should be doing, but I got no indication from Mr. Garneau in his interview with Mercedes Stevenson that they plan to change their approach with China because, as you well know, and you referred to it, um, Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, he came into power in 2015, and his goal was to do everything with China. He sees China as the future of everything. He certainly wants to carry on his father's legacy. Uh, but the bottom line is, public opinion on China has swayed. It's not even a, it's a majority of this country want this relationship changed drastically. Um, and no longer want to be weak with China, and they do see it as a threat. But I don't get the indication that the Trudeau government will change its approach. I mean, why haven't they yet said no to Huawei? Yeah, I'm I'm concerned that you know on a Friday afternoon uh, before Christmas we'll be told that Canada is going to take a reasoned approach to Huawei and will permit it for you know the periphery of our telecommunications, you know, 5G, but not to the core, which you know would pretty much be nonsense in terms of the Chinese um, um, approach to to what they want out of the, the, the Huawei control of 5G. And I, I think in general, you know, we should be cracking down on Chinese espionage and Chinese government um, um, influence operations against, uh, you know, where they, where they effectively bribe uh, senior policymakers and where they intimidate people inside our country. And the excuse mm-hmm. that seemed to be implicit before that doing anything about this sort of thing would would queer the negotiations with regard to the Michaels no longer exists. But uh, I think, frankly, I, I'm very discouraged and expecting a lot more virtue signaling, but no substantive action to to try and, and uh, get into compliance with the Australians and the Americans and the Japanese and the Indians who, you know, are working in the quad. No attempt to join the Quad, even though Canada is closer to the Asia-Pacific than Australia is, and we're a bigger country with more territory. So, you know, how can we justify not standing up uh, for defense of freedom and democracy and the the liberal rules-based order? You know, it's really very, very troubling, and I, I think the signals we're getting out of the government and the signals we're getting out of key advisors on China, which is that, you know, the Hmong matter is now resolved and we can go back to to status quo ante and work towards negotiating free trade. I don't think they'll dare go back to the idea of having an extradition treaty with China and in general giving in to everything the Chinese regime wants because their people who receive benefit when that happens is sure. uh, is very, very troubling and certainly goes against um, you know the aspirations of Canadians. But it evidently didn't make any difference in the election campaign where it just didn't know it just wasn't brought up no not even when china overtly threatened this country uh, with retaliation if um, aaron o'toole was elected nothing shrugged shrug shoulders i mean yan pao wu the liberal senator uh, stated over the weekend he called meng Wajou a hostage and then wrote an op-ed about it about what lessons canadians should learn from this and i i mean it's an outrageous comment from a sitting senator um, but, you know, the only lesson Canadians should learn is that China will kidnap Canadians if um, if they can to get what they want. They'll uh, interfere with elections. They will continue to torture the Uyghur Muslims. I mean, China is not our friend. That's what we should have learned, and we should be saying no to Huawei. 
Yes, and I think really uh, diversifying our economic dependence uh, away from China, which is an an untrustworthy partner that can arbitrarily impose um, any kind of non-tariff barriers to economically coerce Canada to to uh, force us to to accede to China's political demands, and you know this just it just is is not the Canadian way. You know we 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 could be you know we could be doing this. Most of Canada's exports to China, the vast vast majority, are agricultural commodities and minerals, and those are are something that that are sold on the global market. So we could be saying we're not going to sell to China anymore. And market space will open up elsewhere. And I think that's the direction that we should go until such time as we have confidence that China will play by the rules of the game and not engage in kidnapping innocent Canadians and not engage in in arbitrary uh, disruption of agricultural commodity import uh, contracts on absolutely spurious grounds. I mean, we just cannot deal with these people. And I think it's time for us to, to strengthen our alliances elsewhere. Couldn't agree with you more. I just, I just fear like many that nothing is going to change and it will end up costing us, as you well know, long-term uh, security. Uh, Charles, appreciate very much uh, you joining me and uh, bringing in your insight. It's great to speak with you. Charles Burton joining us, who is an expert in all things China, and um, he too says the writing's on the wall. Coming up next, this is not something that was covered in the election, should have been. But now maybe we know why. Uh, Secret documents obtained by the Toronto Sun reveal that the government, the Trudeau government specifically, is making some very big changes to immigration, which will make it much easier to get in this country. And apparently from here on in, we will take on and in any refugee, even if they lie. It is a trust and just accept. So we'll ask, you know, what could go wrong? We'll do that next. Stay with us here. Busy show for you, taking you into this uh, Monday of the week, and we'll do this and get started right away here after this quick break on Point on Global News Radio. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. Yes, come on in to paradise. We're going to let you. So immigration didn't play at all during the election campaign, but I think it should have because um, there are some very big changes coming that's going to make it a lot easier for people to get into this country, whether they deserve it or not. And the uh, Toronto Sun got its hands on leaked documents that reveal the Trudeau government has instructed civil service officers to accept any applicant who has an intersectional claim. So that could be uh, race, sexual orientation, disability, religion. And uh, no longer will claimants have to prove that they face torture or death if they have to go home to their country or even satisfy the UN's definition of refugee. Neither will they be tested for honesty. So from here on in, the Trudeau government will give those coming in the benefit of the doubt, even if they're lying, because they may have misremembered their lived experience. So the Trudeau government is basically taking a come one, come all approach no questions asked, which means we should ask a lot of questions. Let me bring in Giddy Mammon. He's an immigration lawyer at Mammon Sandaluk in Kingswell. Good to have you. Thank you for having me, Alex. What did you think of this when um, you saw these documents? Well, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Um, what's really happened is two things. First of all, 
um, what is being proposed is a very significant expansion of um, the definition of refugee or the definition of people who need protection in Canada. The second thing is they have, uh, so not only have they expanded that, but then they lowered the standard of proof. So, um, you know, before you needed very good evidence to demonstrate that you need Canada's protection, and it now looks like you need a lot less than that, that even situations where uh, there are contradictions, some of the you know, some of the evidence doesn't match up, it looks like um, the Immigration Refugee Board is being counseled, at least in this draft document, to accept the information anyways if there is some explanation for the um the misinformation or the inaccuracy in the evidence. Yeah, I mean, the, the Liberals plan to bring in 400,000, um, you know, immigrants a year. Look, we need immigrants in this country, but we also want and are known or have been uh, known for a system where we bring in the best skilled, those who will find success here in Canada. Um, and, and, you, and of course, we bring in refugees. Um, that, that is who we are. But this is a system that is just inviting abuse. Well, that's right. I think if we're going to have a refugee system, if we're going to protect people, I think what we should be doing is looking for people around the globe who are in the most need of protection, people who are in the greatest distress, people who are in the greatest danger. Uh, what this policy does is it does not help us find those people who are in mortal danger. It actually cherry picks from people who manage to get here, which are often not the most the people who are most in need of protection, but people who are simply able to get on an aircraft uh, with travel documents and get to Canada. So it's those people that they're going to be choosing from. And as long as there's some sort of intersectionality, um, it looks like they're going to be home free. So, you know, I would have done it a little bit different. You know, I think what should have happened is we should have been looking for people that are, uh, like I said, in a really tough situation and prefer them over someone that happens to be here and, you know, has some problems back home that they can, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, explain or uh, demonstrate that, they having, that they're having some sort of issue in their home country. Yeah, I mean, you look at the situation with Roxham Road where you've got people who are exploiting an opportunity by just coming across and entering through a fence, and then once they're here, they're, um, you know, not exactly eating process. It's like, here's a ticket, then come back when we call you, but they can just disappear into the system. I think the, the concern that many will have is how are we to, I mean, because as you know, Giddy, it will only take a matter of time before word gets out that Canada's doing this and everyone will flock here. But we have to have social services. We have to have housing. We have to have infrastructures for these uh, people. We don't even have it now for, for the current situation. Uh, this is a policy that we would describe as one having a tremendous, a tremendous pull factor. Uh, it draws people to it. Uh, when when uh, people all around the globe will hear that um, this is what Canada is looking for in terms of, off, you know, uh, for people to protect, that's exactly what you will get. You will get people who say, hey, I can meet that definition, and they'll find ways to get here one way or the other. Uh, and really, you know, the definition that's being advanced is, is nowhere near as deserving as other def definitions that you could uh, craft. Uh, but it would take a little bit more work to go out, you know, to the refugee camps uh, and bring bring those people here. There's there's millions of people all around the globe who are in refugee camps and who've escaped very terrible situations. 
they are no closer to Canada's protection um, by this policy uh, whatsoever. Yeah, no question. Uh, but you know, what what's the um, what are the chances it becomes uh, you know turns from a draft to an actual policy? Um, this is obviously in the works. Uh, I don't know how, I mean, I guess it'll go through debate, but again, this kind of flew under the radar and uh, hasn't been made public, and so one wonders how far along they are in. Well, I think it probably has a very good chance of passage. Um, The Prime Minister uh, and his cabinet um, basically, I think, you know, are getting uh, what they're looking for in terms of immigration policy. It's a good idea, I think, maybe to increase immigration, uh, but in a way that we pick the best of every class, if we're going to have workers, the best workers, if we're going to have IT people, the best IT people. And if we're going to pick refugees, we should pick the very the very uh, deserving, the most deserving uh, in that category. But I think that the fact that they released it to the Immigration Refugee Board, which, you know, if uh, your listeners don't know, that is the immigration court. That's where you go to present your refugee claim, and if you get refused, uh, a a different division will look at it uh, on appeal. So the fact that the the department has released this document to a wide number of people, I I have to assume they were prepared for a leak because uh, it doesn't take very much for a document like this to get out. And uh, so I think they're prepared to, uh, you know, to go to uh, uh, to bat on this policy. So I, I think it probably has a very good chance of passage. No question about it. Uh, you know, it seems like we're inviting, I think, an awful lot of problems. We've always been known for our immigration system uh, being, uh, you know, top level. But, uh, you know, I think there's a great concern that we're just the, the, the plan that we're going in now. Um, certainly is going to put a strain on the system and, and, again, as you say, not help the people who actually need the help or who have been waiting in line the longest um, and earn their way in. Giddy, I guess we'll wait and see what the next leak happens, but I appreciate your uh, insight into this. Thank you very much for having me. That is Giddy Mammon uh, joining us here with that. So that is a, a story that is kind of simmering right now, and uh, we'll wait and see what happens. But. Consider yourself warned on that. When we come back, there was pressure coming in from all over the world to release the Michaels, including from a punk band that Michael Kovrig once led as lead singer. Yes, Mr. Kovrig is a punk fan. And the song, The Plane to Toronto, was the first song he was played while driving to his Toronto home from the airport. We will talk to his bandmate in just a couple of minutes in Budapest. I'm Alex Pearson on Point. Stay with us here on Global News Radio. Hold on, please, we're gonna get you home. The Plane to Toronto, the lyrics, hold on, please, we're gonna get you home. And it was written by the Budapest punk band that Michael Kovrig put together and at one time was the lead singer. And the song was written to keep Michael's plight in the headlines and to push for this global response of getting people to make videos to keep the pressure on China to release 
these men. It was just one of many pressure tactics used and thankfully led to part of the happy ending. Balash Sharkati joining us now, lead singer and bassist for the band Bankrupt. Good to have you, Balash. Hi, Alex. It's nice to be here. The last time we spoke, you were part of this global effort trying to get your friend released uh, from from prison. What was your reaction when you heard or woke up to the news that Michael Kovrig was free? Actually, it was like on Friday, I, I heard the news that the Friday afternoon that uh, Meng Wanzhou accepted this uh, deal and uh, she's likely going home. And then I knew that uh, hopefully it, it, mean, it meant that uh, the Michaels are returning uh, soon as well. And then I went to sleep and, and I, I, uh, I just woke up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. And uh, I couldn't sleep back. So I, I looked at my phone and uh, I got another message just like five minutes before that uh, Justin Trudeau has just announced that uh, they are already on the plane to Toronto, back to Canada, and, and they have already left uh, Chinese airspace. And uh, yeah, my, my jaw dropped, really. It was like uh, I didn't expect uh, this this soon to happen, but uh, fortunately, I, I mean, it, it did. And it was one, one thing that uh, came to my mind is that um, once I, I, I read the, the, the comments under an article about uh, this situation and then someone was arguing for the prisoner swap and then he was lectured by, by a guy that uh, it's not how it works. This is not a movie. And then uh, it turns out that it, it actually is pretty much like a movie with a happy ending. And uh, yeah, the soundtrack to that movie is our song. So it's, it's a great, uh, great um, ending for this story, I think. Yeah, and, and it was never guaranteed, as you well know, because no one knew, not us. Uh, it was a complete stunning shock uh, to this country that he, uh, both the Michaels were on that plane. And then you see the images of both Michaels getting off the plane, um, greeting their loved ones for the first time in three years. Uh, did you get as emotional as, uh, as I did? Yes, I mean, as, as I mentioned, this is really like the, the happy end uh, at the end, end of the movie. That, that we see. So this is uh, so good to see. I mean, this is exactly what we were hoping for. I mean, the, the whole song uh, is about uh, him sitting on the plane back to Toronto and, and uh, just to see, see this happening uh, in real time. It was uh, awesome. I mean, we were following uh, the, the route, uh, route of this plane. I mean, it, as it stopped in Calgary first and then, uh, then they they dropped uh, the other Michael there, and then uh, our Michael went on to Toronto, and uh, we were keep posting about the where the plane is right now, and, and it was very nice. And then when we finally arrived, and I was looking for the first images of him, I was uh, very uh, curious to see. I mean, how he looks now after all this uh, ordeal, and uh, I, I think uh, apart from being a bit thin and pale, which is, uh, of course, understandable, but, but he, he looks quite good. And, and uh, uh, he was absolutely in, in control of the whole situation. He could handle the journalists there. And, and uh, so he was acting professional as always. So I'm, I'm quite uh, relieved that um, he seems uh, okay, totally. 
Yeah, it's hard, hard to imagine that um, they're as strong as they are. But yeah, Michael Kovrig, for sure, because we've only heard from him, seemed uh, pretty strong. Um, certainly, apparently their first meal was macaroni and ribs on the plane home. I'd be curious to know what his first album might be that he puts on. Do you expect to talk to him? Yes, uh, I, I expect that uh, soon we can talk. Uh, hopefully, I mean, I guess there is a, a big list of... Uh, people who, who want to talk to him right now and uh, including uh, like officials and uh and of course media like i guess mm-hmm. he has like tons of uh, interview requests probably but but i really hope that in the coming days we will have a, a chance to to talk and uh yeah i'm, I'm quite uh, eager to to hear his uh story i mean i mean uh, details of uh how this whole thing uh went and and, and how he feels right now and then w- mm-hmm. what are his plans i'm, I'm very interested yeah it, it's hard to know what they knew you know did they know that they were called the two michaels you know what did they think of that did they know that there was a pandemic did they know um, you know, uh, did they even know that you guys had written a song? Would Michael Kovrig had known that there was a song written about him? It's hard to know whether they realized that Canada yeah, and yeah, I mean, there were, were some uh, were, were behind yeah. him. Yeah, there were some letters exchanged uh, between Michael and uh, and the family, and and uh, he had one uh, uh, chance to to call them on the phone. There was so in his thousand days, there was one fifteen minute phone call. That he could make to the family, and it was uh, last uh, October, I think, and uh, and it was it was then when he first heard about the pandemic, and he was shocked that it, he was asking like, uh, is is it like a zombie apocalypse <laughs> out there? And uh, and uh, it, it was a shock to him that uh, this is happening. And uh, regarding the song. His sister Ariana sent him the lyrics of the song. I, I don't know if he received that uh, letter. I, I think that was yeah. that was in the, the, probably the last uh, letter that uh, they they sent him. It, it was in sent in July, so may, maybe he received that. But but one thing I, I know for sure is that um, Ariana told me that when she picked up uh, Michael at the airport and on, on the way back. Uh, she was playing uh, the song to him in the car, so uh, I know that he already he already heard the song, and I hope amazing. he liked it. That that's amazing. Um, just uh, before I let you go, uh, Balash, what would be the first album he would pop on? Uh, you know, what what would be that go to album for him as his first kind of indulgence of music? Well, he's a big fan of the Sisters of Mercy and uh, Leonard Cohen, so maybe either of those but uh, it could be anything else really i mean he 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 really likes uh, a lot of uh, different uh, kinds of music so so maybe he had something else in mind i i would be curious to hear hear this as as well yeah definitely definitely not china crisis but uh, nonetheless he'll uh, have an adventure certainly to tell yeah. you about well thanks so much i uh, appreciate you thank chatting you. with us and um, you're part of the whole pressure tactic to get him released so we thank you yeah, I, I hope uh, that we could contribute at least a little to this whole uh, fight. I mean, it's it's. I, I think the the biggest warrior was uh, Vina, his wife. Mm-hmm. She was uh, fighting all the way quite relentlessly. 
So it's it's really she was the leader of this whole uh, mission. But uh, maybe we were also contributing a little with this song and the video. A pleasure chatting with you. I'm glad it's on a happy occasion. And uh, take care of you. I hope you have a great reunion. Thank you very much. That is Balaj Sharkati. He's a lead singer of Bankrupt. If you want to hear that song, it's called The Plane to Toronto. It would have been very cool for Michael Kovic to listen to that on his way home. You, of course, can listen to us live. Join us 6.30 sharp Monday through Friday. We'd love to have you. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio.